You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics' The Nom. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the 1980s Marvel Comics series The Nom. I am your host, Tom Panneries. This time around, it's Christmas! I don't think it's really Christmas at the moment, but it might be when you're listening to this. Really, though, it's Christmas in the Nom, hence the Nat King Cole, and we're catching up. With the boys of the 23rd in a tale called Tis the Season, which takes place in December of 1966 and comes in after a few history lessons and tragedies in the life of Ed Marks. Although, it seems like after last issue, he definitely was doing a lot better, especially since he's at 90 days, which means he is short. The issue, which features a cover by Michael Golden of Marks Rob and a new radio operator named Santos, sitting on top of sandbags in a bunker, lit by the glow of either a fire or Setting Sun, was written by Doug Murray, penciled by Mike Golden, inked by John Beatty, lettered and colored by Phil Felix, and then we have a total change in editorial rather than just one name, because now we have Larry Hama as a consulting editor, Mike Higgins as the editor, Pat Redding as the managing editor, and Tom DeFalco as the editor-in-chief. The issue came out on July 14, 1987, and is cover-dated October 1987. December 1966, and Christmas is just a few days away. Ed Marks can't believe that he has to be in Vietnam for Christmas, and Santos, who is new to the 23rd and will be taking Thomas's place as a radio operator, tells him to calm down because he's short, 42 days and wake up in fact. The guys are decorating a makeshift Christmas tree with toilet paper, cartons of cigarettes, and what looks like a pull tabs from beer cans. Rob mentions that he's extending, which confuses Marks, but Rob says, take it f- Think about it from my point of view. I'm not going back to not, to no college. Another year here and I'll be E6 and then I'll go home as an instructor. I'll be okay. The boys go to church in Saigon and hear a very pro-war speech from the Cardinal, which ends with, Anything less than victory is... Inconceivable! Ed comes out and says, Wow, what did you think? He's obviously confused because he didn't grow up in such an, with such an, an aggressive religious merit message. Rob tells him not to worry about it because the guy is an army chaplain and it's not necessarily his job to te- preach peace, especially since he's another lifer. They go to the club because there's a USO show there that night and they won't want to miss it. The club is packed and it's because the entertainment is the University of Wisconsin Corral. That's right, boys. Nubile Western, Midwestern college girls there to sing Christmas carols. The guys leave the club very happy at the performance. The next afternoon, which is Christmas Eve, Marks reads a Christmas card from his parents and is a little surprised that he is talking, taking not being home for Christmas as hard as he is. Then there's a rocket attack and the guys head to a bunker and fire at the incoming enemy. They are finally able to leave in the morning and Marks and Rob wish one another Merry Christmas. But it's not so great because their hooch has been hit and quite a bit, well, including the card and the letter he recently got from his parents, is destroyed. Rob suggests they head to Christmas dinner in order to take his mind off it, as several kids from the nearby village are being trucked in to have dinner with the troops. As they're all eating, one of them produces a grenade. One of the soldiers falls on it and is more or less blown apart, saving the others. And Marks, later on, Marks is visibly upset that the people of this country would allow that to be done to their own children. 
Later that day at mail call, Marx gets a cake from home. It's a big Christmas feast. Several days later, they are out in the jungle after a rather nothing mission, and then had, head back to the club for New Year's Eve. Upon wishing each other a happy 1967, Rob asks Ed about what he's thinking, and Marx says he's wondering what the place would be like in 1968. Their thoughts are interrupted by shouts of a rocket attack, and everyone scrambles for the bunkers. The scene plays out pretty much like Christmas Eve did, with Rob and Marx laying down fire from the bunker and waiting for a chopper attack. Rob throws a grenade into some oncoming VC, and the attack is eventually broken. The next morning, they wish one another a happy new year and see that once again the barracks have been hit. Well, the cake or what's left of it is destroyed, and there's not a lot of water damage, but everything else seems fine. Marx hits the hay and is woken up later in the day by the banging of a hammer as there are repairs going on. We end with Thomas, the klutzy radio operator who was short at the beginning of the issue, saying goodbye the next morning in true to form, falling flat on his face as he gets into the helicopter. Uh, there's not much to say about this particular issue as there was about last issue. Last issue had a lot of character development and some resolution from the death of Alberigo in issue 9. Here, we have about a week or two in the lives of these guys right around the holiday, and instead of Murray telling us some sort of maudlin story that has to do with Christmas or giving these guys some sort of lesson to learn, he sets up a sort of the war doesn't stop for Christmas type of story. On Christmas and New Year's, the guys have to deal with rocket attacks and celebrate both holidays in sort of a duplicate fashion there, crawling out of a bunker at the end of a long night of staving off a VC attack. Marx's continuing anger at that which cannot be truly explained is one important character development that we get. He's a little annoyed that the VC would attack during Christmas, especially when there had apparently been a truce going on. But he's visibly angry and upset when a little kid, who has to be no more than maybe seven or eight, brings a live grenade into the club and pulls the pin. Ed cannot stand how children could be used for terrorist acts, and I think that's something that even in our modern context we can empathize with. There are still suicide bombings throughout the world, especially in war-torn areas or countries that have a lot of political or ethnic strife. The use of children can be prevalent in some of these. From boy soldiers in African countries to kids being used as suicide bombers in the Middle East, there are still taxes that we see in, well, I mean, I might just be talking about myself here, but I still cannot wrap my head around that. Then again, I grew up in a middle-class suburb. I never had to deal with war being right at home, so I can't possibly understand it fully. What I can understand is why Marx asks the question and why any country would do this to its own children. And I also understand why, why he's pretty short at this point. Marx is definitely feeling homesick because, well, it's Christmas, man, and I can understand that. It's Christmas back home for him is really special, and, and it's probably the very first time in his entire life he's been away for Christmas. I like how he says he's thinking about what the place will be like in 68, which to me he says he's definitely thinking about how he won't be back, and how perhaps on some level he might miss it, even though he definitely won't. Rob's comment about not getting back, going back to no college hints that perhaps Ed is going to attend college, maybe on the GI Bill. I know that a number of soldiers in that generation did so. I'm pretty sure my father actually did. So I think this sets up the next couple of issues where Ed's clearly thinking about his, thinking about his future away from the war. Thomas's leaving was kind of funny. The entire time, he's been the physical comedy of the 2030s, the guy who constantly falls flat on his face. And he does it just one more time on his way out. It is really the beginning of the end of the journey that we started with Marx back in issue one. And with Rob and some others sticking around, I, I hope that we still have a smooth transition into another set of characters. Golden's art is once again gorgeous. 
When he's on full pencils, they're great, and the cartoonish technique he's using really works during the comedy, and he effectively plays it down during the more serious moments. I have to give credit again to Phil Felix, who colored the book. There are quite a few moments that happen at night where Felix really does seem to be doing his best to give us the sense that this is going on at night, and he uses a color palette that we'd expect from a nighttime operation. And that closes out 1966. It also closes out issue 11. When I get back, I'll talk history, letters, and ads. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So Christmas truces aren't unheard of. Some of the most famous ones were during the First World War, of course, but there were a few holiday-related truces during the Vietnam War, some of which were broken at various times, most famously during early 1968 with the beginning of the Tet Offensive. So the fact that the guys could be caught a little off guard, and a little annoyed by that, that the VC broke the Christmas truce, well, that does make sense. E6 is a high-ranking enlisted soldier in the United States military. According to the Department of Defense's websites, E4 through E7, which are the mid-level enlisted grades, come with no more with more responsibility than your typical, typical private. Their description is, leadership responsibility significantly increases in the mid-level enlisted ranks. This responsibility is given formal recognition by use of the terms non-commissioned officer and petty officer. An Army Sergeant, Air Force Staff Sergeant, and Marine Corporal are considered NCO ranks. The, N- the Navy NCO equivalent, Petty officer is achieved at the rank of Petty Officer 3rd Class. Rob making E6, by the way, would make him a Staff Sergeant. Somewhere between December 3rd and December 6th in 1966, we have the Bin Hoa Bin Hua Massacre, carried out by South Korean troops on 430 unarmed civilians in the village of Bin Hua, which is in the Kwangnai province of South Vietnam. Most of the villagers, including women, children, and the elderly, were killed and the village was burned. Many of the survivors, as a result, joined the Viet Cong. In other events, especially pop culture, December 15th, Walt Disney dies. December 18th, we have the very first airing of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Incoming this month, we have a negative letter, actually, from Charles Gilman of Nyack, New York. Dear Mr. Hama, I am disgusted by your comic. The nom promises realism and delivers fluff. 
What were you portraying in the Nam? Surely not, surely not Vietnam. Adhering to the comics code has done more than a at the language. It has totally ruled out a realistic portrayal of the war. I'm sure we won't see any of the rape, drug use, or fragging of superior officers that was so prevalent among the troops in Vietnam. Comparing the Nam to any decent portrayal of Vietnam, like Platoon or a rumor of war, will make the deep failings in your comic apparent. Vietnam was a dark, diseased place where 19-year-old Americans died for no good reason. Platoon catches the reality. The Nam is nothing more than a watered-down kitty version. Dear Chuck, We got a lot of letters from re- readers who saw Platoon. People like Chuck Jones, Bill Shively, J.D. LaFrance, David Mullane, and John Sherman. None of them came to the same conclusions you did. Platoon is a very realistic movie. However, it's not totally realistic. It is not a totally realistic portrayal of the Vietnam War. Fraggings, rape, destruction of villages, all of the stuff in the TV and newspaper reporters of the late 60s and early 70s made such a big thing out of, were not, I repeat, not the everyday affairs of life in the Vietnam War. Atrocities did happen. Officers and NCOs were fragged. But this is the exception, not the rule. Reality may not be as exciting and titillating as entertainment, but it still does exist. Chris Andrews writes in, he wants to know if FUD ever recovered from the... Uh, Fifth of the first story, he says, whether FUD recovered or not, and whether and only Lieutenant Roger Young really knows, many Vietnam vets never did. The story was, in a way, dedicated to them. Uh, somebody did ask a question about, uh, talking about the real-time aspect, suggests that give a better perspective historically, is that the first the last page of issue, each issue showed like a newscast or something, like giving a little bit of historical context, then they say, we decided to start out the first issue in 66 because it wasn't until that time that the American presence in Vietnam was very pronounced. Uh, the draft was in full swing and the things were just really starting to happen. By the same token, we decided to stick with one unit in real time to allow the characters, to, readers to identify with specific characters and how the war affects them. After all, it is the effect of our war on people we're re- really writing, writing about, not the war itself. As for what goes on at home, there's something in the works right now. Look out for it. Uh, there's no plans for a special or annual. And uh, a couple of quick notes at the end. For all you non-fanatics, there are two more comic books out which try to show the war realistically and in detail. They are in-country. <laughs> in-country, by the way, like I said in the first episode, was a slang term for being in, in Vietnam. Uh, the Nam. And the Vietnam Journal. In-country has been out for a while, but the journal is brand new. It's from Apple Comics and should be at your local comic store. Also, for all you vets, the 25th Infantry Division is running a membership campaign. They are also planning a reunion in Washington, D.C. this winter, and it gives some information. Uh, the NOM notes um, actually are, it's a mis- there's a mistake, and they printed last issue's NOM notes, which are Article 15, Assembly Area, Air Vian, Buku, Boom Boom, Cannon Fodder, Charlie Green, and Kickoff, uh, which is the lock, start of a mission, a lock and load, P, PX, TD, and Weed. Ads. Ooh, a new M&M's ad. Chocolate fun for everyone. Now we've got a baseball one. And free baseball players' cards and six-packs. We have an ad for Oxy because comic fans need uh, have acne problems. Zittles. And this was, this was kind of an ad campaign where they would like define different types of zits and stuff. And we have exits. Pimples so embarrassing you want to leave the party. And the guy kind of looks like a greaser or something. I don't know. Blimple. A pimple so big it feels like it covers your entire face. And it's like, you know, Oxy because zits are no laughing matter. And they have all these Oxy things. We have a Forgotten Realms ad on the 3651st day we rested. After 10 years of evolution, we've recreated the world. Behold the Forgotten Realms. And it's uh, 
the land where many future advanced Dungeons and Dragons gaming campaigns will take place. Uh, we have a Johnson Smith Company full page ad, which includes a How to Meet Girls book, martial arts soft stars, a flying helicopter, X-ray specs, woohoo, a Hercules wristband, jackpot slot machine bank, a perfect posture brace, which kind of looks like a bro. Um, or a man's ear, depending on how you look at it. How to kiss with confidence. Ooh, nunchucks. Stink spray. Handcuffs. Joke gum. Cherry smoke bombs. Big bang fun snaps. A blackhead remover. Ugh. An air car. A midget camera. Ooh, a dummy. A revolving warning light. <laughs> a secret book. Genuine foreign coins, a black light bulb, portable electric fan. American Entertainment promises us blazing hot comics. Uh, we have X Men vs. the Avengers in here, grab bags and stuff like that. Old X Men's are going for twenty seven thirty five, what have you. But we're talking like early Claremont stuff that, which makes total sense. Uh, apparently, Punisher is red hot. Prices are soaring. 99 cents. Free poster, free catalog with every order, a $5 value. You can get all the Secret Wars for a buck, two for a buck a piece. Mile High Comics ad. Same car- comic book convention. Jerry Ross and Robert, Robert Crestall, rare Marvels at special discount prices uh, up in Montreal. The Drawing Comics kit. Secret of Drawing Comics. Captain O-Face. Asking for Peggy this time. Alright. And uh let's see, we have bullpen bulletins. Larry Hama's the profile this time around. References to you know the fact that New World Pictures bought out Marvel. Apparently there was a reference they're talking about how it's been referenced in um in different uh T V shows and stuff like Perfect Strangers. And uh Willie Smith, the fashion designer who Created um, design Mary Jane Watson's wedding ground, gown died uh, shortly before the Amazing Spider-Man wedding issue came out. Striped Chips Ahoy uh, is on the back cover this time around. Bullet Pen Bulletin is actually on the inside back cover. And uh, even though this is a short one, maybe about as short as Ed Marks. No, I've still got about oh seventy-one issues left to go of this series. Uh, we are gonna bow out here. Thank you once again for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the nom number 12. Take care. Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to you You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics' The Nom. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes, and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com and may likely be read on the air as I occasionally do email-centric episodes or segments. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of the NOM. Although it's been said...
Many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you.